Since the beginning, members of the NC Advocates for Justice have been raising their voices, speaking out on behalf of those who go unheard, joining their voices to oppose injustice and support fair treatment for everyone under the law. With this podcast, Voices of NCAJ, we'll listen to those members, lawyers and legal professionals who founded the organization, whose dedication and energy kept it going and guided it through growth, change and challenges. Each conversation will inspire us to meet the future with a unified voice that channels the strengths and accomplishments of our organization. Welcome to Voices of NCAJ. This episode features one of our NCAJ Legends interviews recorded during Convention 2022. As part of our 60th anniversary celebration, each Legends episode allows a longtime member to tell their story and the story of NCAJ. Before we kick that off today, I'd like to remind you that our podcast is edited and engineered by our friends at Law Pods, a professional audio production company focused on helping lawyers make great sounding podcasts. They sweat all the details so you concentrate on the content. If you're thinking about podcasting, check them out at lawpods.com. They've made podcasting a breeze for us. Hello. I'm Anna Calaritas, and I'm happy to be participating in the storytelling sessions with NCAJ Legends. NCAJ has created this series to honor our longtime members whose contributions to the organization have helped sustain it for more than 60 years. Today, I'm honored to be here with David Pishko. And full disclosure, David Pishko is not only my law partner, but he is also my father. And I'm so happy to be here for the storytelling session because he's also one of the best storytellers I have ever met. So I wanted to start out by asking you, what client story still sticks with you to this day? Oh, wow. That is, you know, a tough one. But I mean, the one that, you know, one of the bigger ones we've worked on, of course, was was Lamont Armstrong, a guy that was wrongfully convicted of murder and spent 17 years in prison. And we, you know, got to work with the Duke wrongful convictions clinic about the, on that. But then, you know, just two things. I mean, the day we learned that we were going to get him out of prison and, and going to the prison to tell him that is a day I'll just never forget. And then, and then actually being in court on the day when the judge, judge let him go. I mean, I, anytime I'm thinking about, you know, why, why am I doing this or do I need some inspiration? I mean, I think about those days. No, I think that's that's one of my favorite things that, that we do is that we get to actually help people um, in, in our work. And that's what inspired me to be a trial lawyer. But I wanted to ask, what what made you want to become a trial lawyer? You know, I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, there aren't many lawyers in my family. There aren't any lawyers in my family. At the time that I went to law school, I come from a, you know, I've got three brothers and two of them are engineers. My dad was an engineer. My dad didn't particularly like lawyers. You had to deal with them on occasion. And I, I honestly probably had, you know, just just a, any layperson's knowledge of what lawyers did. You know, I thought, I mean, I thought they went to court. I thought they represented people. I thought they argued their cases, that they tried to do some good. Didn't really realize, you know, until getting into law school that most lawyers are in bigger firms working for business, sort of helping businesses succeed, uh, that it is really kind of a smaller group that, that does what I thought all lawyers did. At the time when I went in thinking I wanted to do what, I, what I'm doing, when I got out of law school, it was just a lot easier to go in the other direction. And so uh, I did that. You know, I 
went to work for a, a business firm uh, to begin with and realized, you know, this isn't why I became a lawyer. I wasn't any good at it. So You mentioned that, that uh, you know, your family growing up, you know, our family didn't have any lawyers, and, and now both your daughters are lawyers. How does it feel to, to see your daughters go into the same profession? It's, it's wonderful. I mean, it really was, it's really gratifying because, you know, you, you, you wonder whether you're doing something that inspires your children and that, that, they, that they admire, that they want to emulate. Both of you, as you know, spent, I mean, I, I remember multiple times you saying, I, I would never go to law school. I don't want to be a lawyer. You're under too much stress. You work too hard. I'm never going to be a lawyer. But then when it came time to decide, you know, what am I going to do? And, you know, that both of you uh, decided to, to, to go to law school and have had terrific careers so far. So, yeah, it's, it's wonderful to see. We both grew up going to NCAJ's convention, the, the Academy convention, back when we were younger. And, you know, we're here at, at our first convention after a couple of years away. Can you tell us some of your favorite convention stories, you know, that are appropriate? Um, <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of after, after <laughs> session stories that we've got that are, you know, to me are one of the great parts of, uh, of convention. I mean, we've had some real giants uh, in, in this organization who are in leadership. I mean, personally, because it led to me becoming more involved in convention was just after it was one time in Myrtle Beach and I was in the civil law update that was given by some other lawyer who I really can't even remember other than it was horribly dull. And a guy named Hal Greeson was the convention chair uh, from Greensboro, I knew. And he said, you know, I think you'd be pretty good doing this. And, I, you know, I was kind of flattered because I was younger and said, well, you know, I'll give it a try, but nobody really, you know, it's, it's kind of dull. So that was, you know, what, what I set out to do was just to say, you know, let's make this more, more interesting. And it kind of took off from there just by trying to inject a little humor and storytelling into that. So that was one of, my, one of the moments was when Hal came up and said, we'd like you to be more involved. And then personally, and it kind of happened on the same day when I was president, it was the year that Howard Twiggs died, and I got to lead a tribute to Howard at the gala, which was, I didn't know him as well as most other people did, so it was just great, you know, for me to get, spend some time to try to get to know him and talk to other people about him. And then that same time, I got to, I got to introduce my good friend Phil Bedore as the next president, and fortunately, his family had given me some stories to tell, and, you know, that was a, that was a real honor. Phil's daughter, Helen, says that one of the reasons why she wanted to become a lawyer was your speech that night about her father. And you just mentioned that, you know, you, you gave the civil law update um, for years and it, was, it became the hit of the convention, the, the must-see update, which you don't often hear about must-see CLE. But then this year, um, it's been passed on to Helen. How does that feel to, <laughs> to watch the next generation kind of step into your, to, to your shoes? Well, it's, it is, it's, it's a mixed feeling because I did the thing for so long, you know, that I kind of felt like it was mine. And, and I, you know, and honestly, maybe it's just me, but I think it's kind of everybody that to be at a convention and have person after person come up and say, oh, that, you know, that was, that was great. You did a good job. We all want to hear that. And I loved hearing that. But it was time for somebody else to have that feeling. And Helen has been a friend for a long time. You know, I knew her when she was just a, a little kid and, and to see yeah, it's time for somebody else to, to feel that. So it's, it is good 
and of course Sam McGee and John Moore have done it. And they, I kind of handpicked those two guys or said, these guys would be really good, go talk to them. Kind of what Hal Greeson had done to me. They've done a good job. So, but I, but I miss it. I miss it. So I will say that. We might get you more involved in, in CLE this year. Okay. Um, now, one thing that, that, that your civil law updates were known for was you were not afraid to go after judges um, that you might have disagreed with when you were presenting cases they had ruled on. Uh, do you have any favorite stories from, from those? A lot of stories. I'll give you a couple of them that I liked. I mean, one, and you know, actually is now the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court of North Carolina, but at that time he was on the Court of Appeals, and I had critiqued one of his, and hadn't done it really personally. I just said, talked about the case and that I thought he was wrong, and he came up like immediately after I finished my speech and tried to convince me that he was right. And I thought, well, that was, that was sort of interesting. On the other side, I mean, I have had judges that I've known over the years, you know, who have come up and said, you know, you didn't mention me this year. I mean, I feel like I didn't do anything useful all year long. So that's pretty memorable <laughs> when they come up and like ask to be. And there was actually a, there was a judge from Winston-Salem, Loretta Biggs, who's now a federal judge. And she was, ele- I was on her campaign committee when she ran for the Court of Appeals. And when she, and she got elected, and the first time I saw her after that, she said, I couldn't believe when I got to the Court of Appeals one of the other judges says, you need to be very careful about what you write because there's this guy, David Pishko, who gives this speech every year who criticizes what we do. And Loretta knew me. She said, David's such a nice guy. What are you talking about? Not the same guy. I don't know. And he said, no, you, you got to be careful because he'll, he'll skewer you if you do something silly. <laughs> so those were good memories. Yeah. Nice, nice. yeah you know, you've always had that, that reputation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you, you weren't afraid to, to speak your mind. What made you originally want to get involved in, in CAJ and the Academy as it was known back then? Yeah, you may or may not know. I, mean, I heard today for the first time that one of the that the first convention was here in Charlotte, maybe in this same on the same spot. But one of the I think the first meeting of the Academy of Trial Lawyers was in Winston Salem, and one of the founders was a guy named uh, Gene Phillips, who ended up, I believe, on the Supreme Court. But he was a pro- very prominent lawyer in Winston-Salem when I first got to Winston-Salem. And the lawyer I was working with, Bill Pfefferkorn, kind of said, you know, you need to get to know Gene Phillips. And he's got this group of lawyers and let's go, you know, they're having CLE or something in Winston. You know, let's go to that. And that sort of kicked it off. So he, you know, he was the one that encouraged me to go. But it just seemed, it seemed pretty obvious that these people are really good at what they do and they're willing to share their knowledge so I should join. And I remember that was in probably in maybe around 1980, maybe in the 70s. So it's been, it's been a long time. Can you tell us a little bit about what uh, being a member of NCAJ has meant to your career? I was just mentioning to somebody because about convention, I mean, to a non-lawyer. And it's like, well, what, I mean, coming and talking about law and, you know, being around people who do what you do all the time. I mean, it's, why do you do that? Why are you here? Really, basically, it was what you're asking me. And and, and it is almost, well, not almost without fail, without fail, coming to convention, like when I leave, I want to go back to my office and work on cases. I've learned stuff. I've been inspired by other lawyers. I've felt a little guilty about where I stand on some of my cases. You know, I've gotten some good ideas about how to move them forward. And it's that feeling to sort of be enthused about, you know, what you're doing 
knowing there are other people out there who care about what you're doing and want to hear about it and want to help you. So that's, that's certainly why I like to come. Um, and it happened again this year. I mean, which I, I was not expecting. I was not, I was not expecting after a couple of years off. I thought, you know, it's, it's just won't be the same. But it's, it's been the same. I always love that feeling, yeah, the, the inspiration. It just feels, feels like it's filling up your cup, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You walk away with such, such enthusiasm. You know, when you were president a couple of years ago, you passed some significant legislation through the General Assembly. Can you tell us about that? <laughs> The two main things we worked on, one passed and one we asked them not to pass. So uh, we did, the, one significant one was increasing the statute of limitations on products liability cases from six to 12 years. So, you know, the six-year deal had just, with a product, you know, it's, it's supposed to last longer than six years. It seems sort of silly that after six years, you couldn't sue if you were injured by that product. So we were, there were a number of different proposals and different states had dealt with it in different ways. Some of them kind of talked about what, what representations had been made about how long the product would last and things like that. But we were able to at least, uh, again, through the legislative process, not get everything we wanted, but to get a significant change. We went after comparative fault that year. And that was my big lesson in how the, how the uh, legislature works, that we had high-level Democrat and Republican sponsors to a bill that essentially we drafted, Burton Craig drafted, and and you know, to, and I thought, well, that was it. You know, we have Republicans, Democrats. The bill was introduced. You know, that's it. They didn't realize it goes to committees, and that then and the committees can say we don't like this part and this part, and and we could say, well, well if you take that part out, then you got to change this part. And we still ended up with a pretty decent bill. And then at the last minute, the legislative leaders, the Democratic legislative leaders says, well, you need to go talk to the Chamber of Commerce and get their sign off on this bill. And then we're ready to go, which was like, well, that's not going to work. So we didn't get there. But I think at least we got a lot of people interested in, you know, in, in acknowledging the unfairness of contributory negligence. So that was good. Hopefully we'll get there someday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it's just another another step down the road. And to my understanding, there is some interest, um, and now with Republican leadership, that they're still, because it is unfair. You know, <laughs> contributory negligence is unfair. And I think anybody who look, takes a careful look at it, you know, would agree. So hopefully we'll get there. The last thing I, I wanted to ask you was, you know, as, as an attorney who has had a full career and, and now Looking back on it, what advice do you have for, for someone like myself, you know, in the, in the earlier stages of their career? Is there anything you would do differently or is there anything that, that, that really sticks out um, as, as you know, that you would want, wisdom you want to impart to the future generations? Well, there, there's some practical things. I, you know, one is, you know, don't, don't overload yourself. I mean, the, the stuff we do requires thought, planning, and and taking care of your client. And when you have too many cases, you can't do that. You know, you can't spend the time you need to be the best lawyer you can be. And I think how I got into that trap and how some lawyers get into that trap is, I mean, we don't have a client that brings us a lot of business. You know, we have a client and then the next client and then the next client. And you're always worried when you finish one case, is there going to be another one? You know, is there, are we going to keep, there will be, if you handle your cases properly, you know, you do your best work for your client. It's business is going to come to you. I mean, there you will be found out, and business will come to you. And then 
something that was touched on today at lunch, but has always been true, is that, you know, there are lots of people who give you advice, and there are lots of people who have their way of doing things and think that you should do it their way. And the number one thing, especially when you go to court, is to be authentic and, and to be the person that the jury can believe, and you can't do that. And, I, and again, I'm, part of this is, is um, wisdom learned from mistakes. So uh, when you try to do somebody else does and not tailor it, it, certainly take the advice, but remember who you are. And remember, and, and it doesn't matter if you're not the most eloquent speaker or, you know, you're not an aggressive cross-examiner. Cross you know, if you're just who you are and you're authentic and you do it your way, I mean, there's a reason you've gotten this far. There's a reason you've, you've gotten, finished college and you were good enough to get into law school and you finished law school. I mean, you're, you've got something to offer. And just remember that. I mean, you just to be, be yourself, keep working hard, and, you know, it'll, it'll all work. Well, thank you so much. I mean, this is, it's, it's wonderful to talk to, you know, an attorney that, you know, I admire and have respected, um, but, but to have that attorney be my dad and to have the opportunity to get to actually sit down and, and have this recorded and speak to you about it. It's just, it's been a real honor and, and pleasure. So thank you. Thanks, Anna. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Voices of NCAJ. For more information on the North Carolina Advocates for Justice and how to join or support NCAJ, please visit our website at www.ncaj.com.